Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, you've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code THEGOODDIRT in our online marketplace. So use the code THEGOODDIRT, T-H-E-G-O-O-D-D-I-R-T at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer online marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. I don't need to say that much about our produce. I just need to encourage people to try it and to taste the difference themselves and to see how long a bag of fresh greens will last in their fridge compared to something that they buy at the grocery store that's already been on the shelf for two weeks. Um, That's really where the change happens is when people taste it. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. So mom, how are you doing? How are you doing in this like coronavirus craziness? Well, doing all right. Uh, We're just out here at the farm and it's been a very rainy, chilly day. So haven't gotten out much today, which is different. Um, the days that have been nice have been spending outside in the garden, prepping the garden, doing all kinds of things. So a um, little different today, but of course there are always indoor projects and baking and decluttering and organizing, just all kinds of things to do. So we're doing all right. We're doing all right. And we hope everybody else out there is too. How about you? Yeah, we definitely hope everyone else is. I mean, I'm doing Okay. Definitely a little bit have some cabin fever. I'm sorry to admit that I'm really glad I don't have kids I need to be homeschooling right now. I all of my love and admiration goes out, out to all of my friends who do. That's 
that's incredible. I can't imagine kind of having to deal with all of this and do your own work and be in charge of your child's education, um, which if anyone is listening to this and does have children and are homeschooling, I don't feel like you need to feel like you're in charge of your child's education right now. I think this is a really weird time and it's okay to it's okay to probably have too much screen time and all of the above. Um, it's yes. just, yeah, it's just weird. And I think it's it's unprecedented in many ways, but especially in the way that it's so collective and everyone is kind of going through the same thing together at the same time. Um, and it's an un it's an unknown ending, which is crazy. Yes. Yes, the really uh, unique thing about this is it's completely unprecedented and nobody knows where it's going and nobody knows where it's, nobody knows where it's going to end and or what's going to happen in the meantime. So it's really really a unique situation. And yeah. Yeah, so one really it's kind um, of crazy too that our um that our guide to the living is actually coming out next week. Oh, I know. talk about timing. Who would have thought? Because we've been working on it so long, and it was supposed to come out like months ago, like more than months ago, more over a year ago. It was supposed to come out, and all these things kept coming up, and. And here we are at this moment, and the Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living is coming out next week. So, and we hope we hope it will truly be helpful to people um, who are trying to restructure their lives in this very new um, paradigm we have. We have uh, here. We have been talking about the paradigm shift uh, being something that people could approach in very small ways, small decisions, um, just slowly shift your way of thinking about the things you eat and the things you buy. And all of a sudden the whole world is having to look at these things like now, like overnight. So it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And particularly I think, um, in terms of a food, we go to the grocery store and we see that the shelves are empty and we have to make selections of what to buy on the base of what's there. That's really different for everybody. We're so used to going and getting whatever we want, whatever we need. If it's not at one store, it's at another, but that has not been true over the past two weeks. I mean, everything, everything's been so different over the past couple of weeks. And while we actually thought about kind of not, putting out this episode this week because of the just of the climate of everything um and it feels kind of weird to just proceed with things as normal um again with the interesting timing of things this episode is actually an an interview with our good friends Arden and Michael who are farmers kind of on the front lines um, I consider I consider the grocery store workers and the farmers to be just as much on the front lines as the healthcare workers, just supporting and keeping the whole world healthy all of the time, not just in times of um, crisis. And I think that something that this time is going to be really good for is so that people, as you were saying, mom have a little more space and time to think about like where their food comes from and where the things that they really, really need 
come from. I think it's interesting that like non-essential businesses, you know, are forced to be closed. And like, what does that mean? Non-essential? Like, yeah. That's a whole, that's a whole question. And and I think it's, it's pretty well, pretty universally agreed upon that uh, grocery stores are universally uh, essential and, you know, who stocks the grocery stores? The farmers do ultimately. Yes. Yes. It's all pointing to like, what are your daily needs and where do they come from? And what do we do now? So um, it is, our book is timely. So yeah. And you can, you can still get it this week at um, the pre-sale price. You can get it right now. You can get it today, right now. You can pause this, right? It's okay. We'll wait. We'll be here when you come back. Pause it. And if you go ladyfarmer.com, shop, Guide to Slow Living, it's there waiting for you. You got to snag it at the special pre-sale price only through March 31st. Get on. <laughs> and if you don't get around to it, next Tuesday, it's it's for sale. So um, All the way for sale. Full price, but it yeah. ships immediately. That's what you get. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till next yeah. week. So yes, Emma, as you were saying, um, this interview with these young, inspiring farmers is so appropriate for the moment. So let's introduce them. So yeah, Michael and Arden met in college, actually, at Swanee, the University of the South, where we all went to school together and we graduated uh, just a few years ago in 2013. Um, They both had worked on and visited many farms in Tennessee, Vermont, Central America, Virginia, and they learned all about the different aspects of regenerative farming. By 2014, they moved to land owned by Arden's family in Forest, Virginia, to found Great Day Gardens, and that's where they were married on their farm in 2016. The farm was named in memory of Arden's grandfather, who had many colorful ways of expressing his joy for his family and grandchildren. Arden was raised in Virginia, near Charlottesville, and she grew up spending time with her family on this land where she now lives in gardens, dreaming of all the future possibilities there. She honed her plant propagation skills and field culture techniques during an apprenticeship at Radical Roots Community Farm in Kieseltown, Virginia in 2014. So when she's not working on her tan in the veggie fields, you can find her working at the pottery wheel or weaving loom. We actually interviewed her a while back. She was the subject of one of our Lady Farmer Friday features, which you can now find on our blog. Originally from Louisville, Kentucky, Michael Grants is the baker in the family and prizes his relationships with regional grain growers. In 2018, he became a founding board member of the Common Grain Alliance, which is a Virginia-based consortium of bakers, millers, and farmers working to revive the Mid-Atlantic Grain Shed. He has formal training in permaculture and is currently learning about holistic livestock management on a nearby farm. He always keeps an ear to the soil and enjoys balancing the farm as an ecosystem, business, community gathering space, and workplace. Their vision is a world where local economies overtake and replace big corporations and human contact is the primary method of communication, where farmers and laborers are valued among the most important members of society, and chemical-free foods are accessible and in demand. 
where people are regaining control of their health by listening to and caring for their bodies, and technology is being used appropriately to promote a more giving and regenerative society. And so we present to you our conversation with Arden and Michael. Good morning, Arden and Michael. How are you today? We're great. Thank you for having us. Good morning. Yes, thanks for having us on. Well, we've really been looking forward to this one. Um, It covers a lot of things that are of particular interest to us, especially the good dirt you work with. Tell us about what you all are doing, introducing us to your adventures. Okay. Well, my name is Arden Jones, and... I grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia, but now we live in Bedford County. Um, We're lucky to be on a farm that my mom grew up at when she was, they moved out here when she was in elementary school. So Michael and I came here uh, six years ago and we started farming on this land here and we do it full time now. Yeah, and as part of the farm, uh, we also operate a wood-fired bakery. So that's sort of what I do. I do all the baking. Uh, Mostly we do sourdough bread, as well as some pastries like croissants, scones, um, and bagels, and a few other different types of things. Uh, And all that's baked in a wood-fired oven, and the bakery itself is inside the garage. So our business right now is about half and half um, vegetables, mixed vegetables that we grow in the garden, and bread and all the other baked products. And we sell our stuff through a CSA program and two weekly farmers markets and then a few other smaller outlets that we have around the Lynchburg area. When you guys started the farm, is that what you had in mind? Like, were you planning to do a bakery? Um, like kind of what were you thinking when you, when you started and why did you start? Well, when we started the farm, we didn't imagine that we would ever be selling anything. We kind of jumped into it just with a passion to, Um, connect with the earth and to grow food for ourselves. Um, We began going to farmer's markets in our first year. And once we started connecting with our customers and realizing that we could sell our products and earn some income from it, we just got the bug and we got hooked. And so once we had a couple months under our belt, Um, we began to realize that we could take it seriously and it didn't happen overnight, but after a couple seasons, we realized that if we, you know, really put all of our, our time and resources into it, then we could make it our dream farm. Um, so it wasn't really something that we had planned from the beginning. Um, we definitely did what they call bootstrapping, um, and we started with a really small input on the farm, and then over time we have this we have put more and more capital into it and built things like greenhouses and um, we actually bought another property um, to build our bakery on, which is right across the street from our farm. Um, but initially, we did not have those aspirations. Um, it has just kind of evolved into that over time. What kind of background do you have in farming, if any? Or what led to the interest um, besides just you just decided you'd like to do this and just started learning? Is that how it happened? 
Uh, yeah, so bo- both of us had experience on mostly on vegetable farms before we started out. Um, so when when we were in college, I spent pretty much every summer working on farms um, and didn't study agriculture in school, but was definitely interested in that and thinking about it as a career choice for after college. Um, and for, for me, my first interest in farming was just as a way to sort of connect with nature, uh, to work work outdoors. Um, I was really into environmental activism in high school and college. So for me, it was also a way to sort of create the change in the world that I wanted to see, um, do something really directly in a way that connects with both with nature and with communities and um, nourishing people. So I always knew that I wanted to farm and I didn't really know what kind of farm I wanted to have and I thought that I could just go out there and start doing it and I would intrinsically naturally know how to do it um and that's probably what I would have done with my knowing my personality if it hadn't been for Michael who encouraged me to have real experience on a working farm um, which I did in 2014 um I did a full season apprenticeship on a farm in Harrisonburg Virginia outside of Harrisonburg called Radical Root Community Farm and they're a certified organic farm. I was there for nine months throughout the whole season from start to finish. And I worked on the farm with a crew of other apprentices. And that experience was completely invaluable for me, just seeing the whole production side of it. And I realized everything that I didn't know, you know, but when you start out, you don't know what you don't know. And going through that process and just doing the repetition of, you know, producing crops for sale, it's a completely different thing than your home garden um, in some good ways and some bad ways. But uh, definitely that was the experience that allowed us to do what we're doing now. And so how many years now in are you guys total? We're starting our sixth season right now. Wow. That's crazy. Do you guys <laughs> feel like it's flown by or do you feel like um, you've been doing it forever? <laughs> That's so funny. I, I feel like the time has gone really fast and uh, I feel like we're at the point now where we've been doing it long enough when we we think about things that we did in the past and it's becoming harder and harder to figure out which year was that that we raised ducks, for example. We did that for two years when we started out. Um, and every year has kind of been different. But Well, uh, since y'all have been at it for a few years now, and um, the whole topic of regenerative agriculture is fairly new, but certainly growing in the years since you have started your venture, um, what notions of regenerative agriculture did you have in the beginning, if you did at all, and or maybe it was just your understanding of it was more intuitive than an actual like academic, um, academic embracing of it, and how has your understanding and practice of that um, grown in the last few years? That's a really good question. I think every farm starting out, um, for people who have been around like we had, where we had traveled in Vermont and Central America, and we'd been on farms 
all over in Tennessee where we went to school. And we'd seen a lot of examples of farms and had a lot of ideas in our head of what sustainable farming was. But all of those pieces were disparate parts of what our farm could be. And we kind of had to realize over time that we couldn't do everything that we imagined. Um, And I think with every farm, you just go down your path and it takes a while to kind of determine what your practices are and what your farming philosophy is. So um, now we've gotten to a point where we consider ourselves a no-till system and we have a system that we do every year. We don't have to go back and reanalyze it um, to see if it's working because we think it is working. We've had a really amazing transformation in our soil um, over the past five years since we've been here. And so we're going to stick with this program we're doing. We do um, routine checkups with uh, soil testing and we have a soil consultant who helps us look at what effect we're having on our soil. Um, And another thing that, you know, we would like to bring in at some point would be some sort of animal interaction Um, in our garden because right now we don't have any of that and we really think that's an important part of any farm but that's that definitely speaks to one of the challenges of regenerative agriculture is that a truly to me a truly regenerative farm needs to be diversified um, and especially with having crops intermixed with animals but for us that's the challenge is just managing animals as well as vegetables um there's always a million tasks to do on the farm. So the more you can simplify things, the easier it is to manage as a business. Um, but you also need that diversity to sort of produce your own fertility or maintain soil health. Um, so that's definitely something that that we that's not always simple for us. Um, we're working to find a solution. So I think that we're really proud of the fact that we are practicing no-till agriculture, but we don't see it as like a one fits all answer to growing crops. And I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of creative solutions on their farms from all different scales, you know, one tenth of an acre to 10,000 acres. And I'm not, I don't think that our method is the right method for everybody, but it's working really well for us. And uh, we really love to see the results of it in our garden. Can you talk a little bit more about that, uh, the no-till and what, what that has meant for you? I, I, I know like even that term means different things to different people. It might mean yeah. like you only put things on top to you're never tilling the soil, or tilling a little bit or, you know, what is that for you guys? Um, in reality, it's probably more of a, a minimum till system. We do use a tool that's called a tilter. And it's actually powered by a hand drill. So you attach it to a small tiller, but it only it only disturbs the soil about two inches into the ground. So it's not inverting your soil layers and really burning up your carbon that's in the soil and creating a lot of soil disturbance. Um, so that's one tool that we need to use in order to get a good seed bed when we're direct seeding crops like carrots or radishes and turnips. Um, and we're also using a tool called the broad fork which is really labor intensive to use and you get a good workout when you use it. But um, it's basically a really large digging fork that goes into the soil and loosens the soil from below 
So again, you're not inverting any soil layers um, when you use the tool, and it's just sort of providing aeration. Um, so we combine that. That's, those tools are part of our toolkit. We also use a lot of compost, which helps just keep the soil loose without having to go in with the rototiller or plow and loosen up the soil mechanically. Um, having that compost in the soil will allow the biology that lives in the soil to do some of that work for you. Um, and another key tool for us has been using black plastic tarps. And those we'll use if a section of the garden will become really weedy or if we're finished with a crop, we'll bring the tarp over. It'll block all the light to the soil, um, which will kill any weeds that are there without having to bring in the tractor to do it. And it'll also actually stimulate uh, biological activity and provide that dark covering where earthworms and other insects can come to the surface. Um, so it's sort of been an evolving system over the five years we've been farming and we've been figuring it out slowly. Um, but for us, the we're doing so little disturbance to the soil that we feel like we can call it a no-till system. Um, and we've we've seen res better results every year since we stopped tilling. And it's a lot less work, too, once you figure out how to do it. It saves us a lot of time. So for any listeners out there that are um, new to the whole idea of regenerative farming and these methods, can you just kind of in a nutshell explain, like, why wouldn't you till? I mean, isn't our whole uh, American expansion based on, you know, moving out west and plowing the soil up and planting your crops every year? So can you just give people a kind of a quick um, summary of, of why why farmers are beginning to look for alternatives to that? Yeah, um, the soil has a whole life of its own. And in the soil, there's um, the texture is super important. And a lot of what happens when rototillers come through um, the top layer of soil is that it completely destroys the soil structure. So that is fine root hairs. Um, that could be earthworm burrows. That could be just a mixture of um, sediment of different sizes that are interacting with the soil food web. Um, and when you destroy that structure, you, you destroy the pockets for air and for water infiltration. And those are really important for your plants. The, the roots of your plants need air and water and space to travel in. Um, so a lot of times what you'll see in on farms that have been tilled for a long time is there's what you call a hard pan. Um, usually it's six to 10 inches down. Um, you stick a stick in the ground, <clears throat> it'll go into that depth and then you won't be able to go any farther. And that's exactly what happens to the roots. They try to go down deep, but they can't cross this hard pan. Um, that's just been compacted over and over. And the natural soil horizons are also disturbed when you're tilling because the, the mechanism of the tiller takes the bottom layer and brings it to the top. And so it's just like completely flipping your house upside down and disrupting everything in the house. How, how do you feel like your methods and approaches are received in your community or understood or not understood? 
in my experience in our area, um, most of our customers, well, I would say for us, most of our customers are seeking organic, regenerative, sustainable food. Uh, but a lot of the customers who are shopping at the farmer, farmer's markets that we attend around Lynchburg are simply looking to buy local food and they want something that's fresh. They want to know the person who grows it. Um, and they're, they might prefer organic to conventional produce, but they're still willing to buy con, uh, conventional produce. And there are some conventional growers at the market. Um, so in our area, really local is, is the more important factor when people are coming and shopping for food. Um, but it has, it has been good. It seems like there's more and more awareness about regenerative agriculture. And over time, people are asking us more questions about our growing practices. Uh, so it seems like the needle is being moved a little bit on that front. And uh, with regards to the people around us and sort of our neighborhood, we're basically in the suburbs outside of Lynchburg. So really, we're surrounded by development. Um, we do have a few farms up the road and farmers who we, who we met here. And um, some of them know that our practices are a little bit different than what they do. And they're farming more conventionally. But I think the the understanding I feel like we have is that we all have something to learn from one another. And just because they're conventional doesn't mean I can't learn something about different forage species or uh, different ways to raise pigs, for example. Um, and I think they're open as long as we're, we approach them in a way that's not really combative and sort of black and white. Then people are also open to seeing uh, regenerative farms. And um, we're, we're taking different approaches, but in the end, we're still producing food. It's amazing to me how like long farming has been around and how we're basically based our society is like based on agriculture and it's still something that we have to figure out <laughs> every time we do it and work as a community and yeah that just yeah. kind of occurred to me it's it's really interesting and you were talking about your customers um coming and asking more questions and uh, they really want organic, but they're they're still willing to buy conventional and all these um, kind of um, layers of understanding. When your customers come to you, do you think they would choose the local um, produce over going to the store to seek organic? Are you all certified organic? That's another question I don't know. Or do you just use organic principles? Yeah, there's a difference, as you know. <laughs> yeah. So we are, we're not certified organic. Um, I think if we were going to sell more wholesale to like a grocery store, then we would definitely consider that route. Um, currently, we see 95% of our customers face-to-face. -face, and so we feel like we can have that, um, that interaction with, interaction with them and educate them, like you said, in person. Um, it's super important. And I think, I think it's something that I struggle with a lot is having to remind myself how big the education gap is between me, somebody who's totally immersed in this world, who I've made every decision in the past eight years up until now to get to this point of eating clean food 
versus somebody who is just trying to feed their family. They don't have a lot of time. They are used to their food customs. Food customs are so, so important and so hard to break sometimes. And, um, you know, in the end, a lot of people switch over because of health reasons. You know, it's kind of like the last straw. It's They need to find a way to feel better. So it is hard. The education part and is I don't always have time to do that. And what I've found out is that a lot of times I don't really need to I don't need to say that much about our produce. I just need to encourage people to try it and to taste the difference themselves and to see how long a bag of fresh greens will last in their fridge compared to something that they buy at the grocery store that's already been on the shelf for two weeks. Um, that's really where the change happens is when people taste it. You know, people, they say the same thing with kids when in school gardens, how when kids just try the, the fresh vegetables that are so packed full of nutrients and picked straight off the vine, then they'll actually like the vegetables versus something that, you know, rightfully they probably shouldn't be eating in the first place. <laughs> they might know better <laughs> the with their taste palates, their, their young taste buds. Hey mom, I feel like, you know, I'm home a lot now and I have a lot more time and I know that you're always talking about sourdough and kefir and stuff, but I can never remember the exact recipe that you're talking about. And um, I know that there's like weeds in my front yard that I could chop up and put in my salad. And I know that there's like certain things about like slow living that I just, I just like can't really remember it all. And I like don't really know where to start. So I just wish there was like a little like handbook or something that you wrote and that I could look at and refer to when I'm confused about something, you know? Well, as a matter of fact, I did write a little book like that with all of those things in it and more. Lots of ideas and suggestions and recipes and prompts and wow, all kinds of things that are really relevant to what is going on right now. So have you heard of it? Wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> you did? <laughs> I did. What's it called? It's called The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. And guess what? Oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I need. What? It is coming out next week. Oh my gosh. You mean like next week, next week? Like March 31st is going to be available. You can order one. Actually, you can order one now. You can still order it now for the pre-sale price. But on March 31st, it's here and we'll be sending it out. Oh my gosh. So you are telling me that while I'm sitting here in quarantine... I can go to www.ladyfarmer.com and order a Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living book and have it delivered to me to help me in all of my slow living journey experiences? Yes. While you're at home now and you want to know how to do these things and you want ideas and your life has changed overnight and you are thinking, wow, our way of life is changing right now and I need some guidance and we have it for you. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. 
I'm so excited. I'm going to go order it right now. Okay. Good. <laughs> So you're talking about the farmer's markets and selling, um, you know, talking to your customers every week. And I know that a huge part of that in y'all's business is your amazing baked goods and your bread. Um, you addressed this a little bit at the beginning, but can you start by telling us kind of about how that started? And, and I, I remember like two years in, actually, I don't know how long it was, but Arden saying and now we're buying like this industrial oven <laughs> just kind of just like, very quickly became a very real part of your business so can you talk about that a little bit and do you grow your own wheat and just like tell us all about it sure so when we first started the farm um or i should say the the winter when we were getting ready to start the farm and we were building a small greenhouse and getting everything um together I started to practice bread making at home, just making bread for us. And I don't have any professional experience as a baker, um, but I just sort of dove into it that winter and started reading books and practicing on my own. And it seemed as we were developing the idea for the farm as a business, it seemed like it could be a, a niche in our area because there wasn't anybody else making bread with organic flour or any local ingredients or making sourdough bread. And um, those are the kinds of breads that we wanted to be eating anyways, and we thought we would be able to find a customer base that we could share that with in the community. Um, so it, it began really small for the first two years. I was just baking bread in our uh, home kitchen that's at the farmhouse. It was a standard electric range that uh, we had sort of modified. We put some really thick, um, basically pizza stones on each rack and we had it set up so that we could, we could bake 16 loaves at a time. And so we did that for the first couple of years. We're doing small batches of bread and gradually got into, got to the point that we knew we needed more space. So uh, in our third year, we, we purchased a wood fired oven that's built onto a trailer. So that makes it really versatile. Uh, we can, we've moved the, bakery location twice now so it's good that the, our oven's on wheels and it can it can go where it needs to go we also take it to uh we've taken it to events a couple times in the past um so also when we started out we we were i was especially really interested in growing grains for the bakery and i think in the future it'll become more of a thing i'm hoping we sort of step back from it in the past couple of years because growing grains is so different from growing vegetables. Uh, there's a lot more equipment that's needed, a little bit more knowledge, and I'm not a super mechanical, hands-on kind of person. Um, so that we're hoping someday down the line we'll be able to um, grow some of our own grains. But in uh, in 2018, I started attending a few meetings. Um, with a group of bakers, millers, and farmers from around central Virginia. And that year in 2018, we founded the Common Grain Alliance. And that's a group that I've been really involved with for the past two years. So we're a 501c3 nonprofit um, founded in 2018. And we're a membership-based organization. Mostly we're, 
either bakers, farmers, or millers, people who are really involved in the, the local grain economy as it is, but we also have members who are home bakers or just really passionate about local food and want to see more options for local grains in the, in the local food system. Our goal is to revive the regional grain economy in the mid-Atlantic. So we have members in Maryland, D.C., Virginia, and West Virginia. And that's sort of the area that we focus on. And um, so over the past two years, we've seen a lot happen with building our network. I've, I've met a lot of great farmers and millers who I've started to purchase products from. So um, I would say at this time about 70% of the flour that I put into my bread is grown either in North Carolina or Virginia. And building that network has created a lot of opportunities for the people in the group. Can you talk about some of the issues with with um, grain and weed and flour that um, motivated this this movement? For me, nutrition is a really important issue when it comes to bread making, and that's that's why I began making sourdough bread is because it's it's a way of producing bread that's a little bit more nutritious. And as I started to learn about it. I learned that also the freshness of the flour and the ability to use more whole grains is also really important in nutrition. Uh, so buying, purchasing your flour locally and soon after it's been milled allows you to, when you, when you buy flour that's been milled fresh, you have a lot of the nutrients, uh, minerals, vitamins that haven't degraded at all. And you can really taste the flavor when you make bread or pancakes or whatever you're making with the flour. Um, so flavor has been a really, really a big driving force for me in using fresh flours um, as well as nutrition. And in incorporating grains, um, kind of going back to our conversation about soil and regenerative agriculture, if we're looking at the whole on sort of a macro level, if, if we're looking at the whole mid-Atlantic agricultural system, we really need grains and especially cereal uh, winter grains to build soil. Crops like rye and wheat are really great at um, sending roots way down into the soil, holding soil over the winter so that it's not eroding into the Chesapeake Bay, and including grains in rotations of, say, animals or vegetables or other crops is really a great way to build soil as well as produce food for the community. So a lot of what we've done with the Common Grain Alliance over the past two years is just educated ourselves about all the different techniques that can be used to produce better quality wheat in our region. I wanted to get into the sourdough a little bit. You, you mentioned that you use sourdough, and um, do you have you used the same sourdough starter for years? Do you have different sourdough starters, and did you make it, or did you get it from somewhere? Yeah, I I started my own sourdough, uh, I think it was about six years ago now, around the time when we started, mm. a little bit before we started the farm. So I've perpetuated that one. Um, what I did was just mix flour and water together and put some wine berries in it that are coated with wild yeast as it is, and that sort of helped kickstart it. Um, and I've I've been gifted old sourdough starters from other people, but for me it's really hard just to keep up with my one sourdough starter because I have to feed it every day. So I I mostly just use that one. Um, but it's really 
sourdough baking is really a great way to make bread, especially for a home baker, because it ferments more slowly than using commercial yeast. And you might think that that would make it more difficult, but it actually actually makes the whole baking process a lot more flexible and uh, easier to fit into your schedule. So I really encourage people to people who make bread or even things like pancakes or muffins, really any baked good, you can incorporate sourdough into. Well, you guys seem so, um, like I know that you've been really open about um, learning all the time and it's taken, you know, you're going in your sixth season, but you do sound like so calm, cool, collected, and like you know what's going on and you seem like you've got a good grip on stuff. Um, but I know that farming is like probably one of the hardest, uh, careers you could choose. Um, and I know that at Lady Farmer, we talk a lot about slow living and slowing down and, um, you know, and being sustainable in your life, uh, which as we've learned, isn't usually easy or calming (laughs) necessarily, um, so can you just speak a little bit to the realities of like farm life and living sustainably, what that means kind of in, in all, um, all senses of the word? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm really, it's really nice to hear you acknowledge that farm work is hard because I think a lot of people, honestly, as obvious as that sounds, a lot of people do imagine our lives as being a very um, glossy magazine cover that it's not all the time. (laughs) And right now it's February. That's probably why we sound so calm. We haven't quite jumped into the craziness of the season. We haven't started our, you know, everyday obligations that we have yet. Um, And that is something that I struggle with, um, you know, during the, the long days in July and August is just to sit back and appreciate everything that we have because we're just trying to keep up with the harvest. We're trying to keep up with the plants growing so fast. And as that pace of life quickens in the summertime with more sunlight, you know, we're, we're right along with it. Um, but one of the main things that has allowed us to get this far on our farming journey, I think is, just the power of observation and that's the number one thing that you need to learn about farming and to understand what's going on in your ecosystem and you can only really harness the powers of observation when you slow down and look around you and so as hard as it is sometimes in the middle of the craziness you know that's one thing that we really do try to to prioritize we do weekly garden walks where we'll in the evening or at a time when we don't have a lot of other things pressing on us, we'll walk around the garden together. Two sets of eyes. We'll look at everything that's out there. Um, see maybe some insect damage that we hadn't noticed before or something that needs to be attended to immediately. Um, a crop that's about to be harvested that we need to, to get on next and just having those moments of calm contemplation where we can get our thoughts collected helps a lot. Um, And also just our lifestyle is very 
is very calm. We we don't have to drive to work, so that you know that saves us a lot of time during the day, and we have very small footprint in terms of where we go during the week, and we don't have to make a lot of trips to the grocery store and that kind of thing. I think it's just a matter of simplifying and taking out a lot of the extra noise that modern life has, the demands that it has on us. Um, we listen to lots of podcasts, so that helps kind of get us into a good headspace while we're working. That's one of the really good things about being self-employed, I think, is that you can you can tune into other what other people are doing elsewhere, and that really helps us keep the energy to keep going and stay inspired by other other farmers and other people doing cool projects like you guys are. I I love the idea of your garden walk. Um, I do that myself, even though I'm not you know, growing things for other people or, or, or trying to have a CSA or anything. I just like to just go out there in the kind of the downtime, so to speak, and um, just look at things with a different eye. Because during the day or during the work day or whatever, you're out there like kind of like uh you know, oh, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. And your to-do list kind of just crowds out the ability to slow down and observe and yeah, contemplate solutions or, or even just appreciate what you see. Like, wow, that plant's doing really, really well. <laughs> what are some um, compromises that you feel like you've had to make as far as like, what are some things that you find yourself constantly like, oh, I I could be more sustainable about this, but like, you know, we got to use use plastic. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there with plastic. Um, I mean, we try, we talked about how we like to take care of our soil as much as we can. Um, but on the farm, we really do, the system of farming that we're doing uses a lot of plastic. Um, and it's always a challenge to reduce that. But we use plastic tarps to cover the weeds. Um, we use other reusable plastics that are go around the plant while it's growing to help keep weeds down and then we have a couple uh, we have a couple plastic greenhouses also and as well as drip tape that's used for irrigation so it, it really is sometimes you look around and it's like wow we're using so much plastic <laughs> on the farm so I think that's something that we're always trying to get better at um, and I wish we weren't using as much and we, we are making efforts right now to reduce plastic in our packaging and um, we've, we've been slowly trying to switch to using paper bags at the farmer's market versus grocery bags and charging a small token fee for that to encourage people to bring their own reusable bags. Yeah, it's really hard. I think the it's not just us either. It's So farming is made possible by plastic a lot of the times and it's there's some farms who do a really good job of completely eliminating it. Um, and I've seen farms who just refuse to have a greenhouse or a, a high tunnel just on the basis that they don't like plastic. Um, but that being said, there's always a trade-off. So the, the drip tape that we use um, really reduces our amount of water usage and it, it's, it helps the, the soil stay a lot moist more moist and so there's that trade-off there that if we were using just overhead irrigation then we would be using up another resource but I think it's really important for every farm to be 
doing kind of a constant self-analysis of how to improve, how to set your standards higher. Uh, we attempted that last year. We set up an advisory board for our farm just to have some other members of the community holding us accountable to our mission. And um, part of that is our environmental mission. Um, and just to have other people's eyes on us and, you know, ideas, but also, you know, just checking in on us and have, holding us accountable to them um, as well as how we're accountable to our customers. That's such a great idea. Um, and I, I think the important thing to remember is that uh, for people who are really interested in sustainability and uh, cultivating more sustainability in their lives, in their work, or whatever it is they're doing, it's it's really important to um, stay out of a place of judgment um, for yourself and for others. Because basically people that are in this headspace are all doing the best they can. I, I know we are. And um, their decisions, different decisions are made for different reasons, but we can't, we can't look at another person and say, well, why are you doing this or that? Because that person is already in a place of, of doing what they can to make it work for them. So um, it sounds like um, I really like hearing about your, your thinking process and looking over everything that's not ideal and looking for alternatives, but still allowing yourself to do what, what needs to be done to keep it going. So that's, that's great. I think slowing in terms of slow living, like slowing down your decision-making process can really be a good thing. And that is just, it doesn't have to be on a daily basis, but it can be, it's a great thing for us to do in the winter time to kind of go back and look at our, our expenses and where everything's coming from and, you know, eliminating things that we don't need and just, I think that that's something that is so important for every business and every everybody producing anything is to slow down and to have those moments of reflection um, and and yeah to not be too hard on yourself at the same time um, to be true to your mission but to let yourself get to let yourself achieve that mission without having guilt in the way and and to feel good about the decisions you're making. I know it's mostly just you two, but do you guys have what kind of help do you have, if any? Because you guys have run quite the operation. Yeah, we we have great help. We have um, one employee who will be returning from last year, which is amazing. We love her so much and do anything to keep her around. <laughs> and so she she's coming back, and she's going to be working both in the bakery and on the farm. And we also have. Um, interns throughout the year so uh, we've had college interns before and currently we actually have a high school student who's coming once a week and um, that's more of an educational exchange kind of thing um, this year we also are have signed up for the wolf program which is it stands for willing workers on organic farms yeah, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> Willing Workers on Organic Farm. Something like that. And um, that's a program that we have done in different countries, in New Zealand and Central America. And we just recently came back from Spain and woofed there. And that has been such an awesome exchange for us. And we decided it's 
time to give back. So we're going to be hosting Woofers this summer. And we're really excited to, to meet some new people. And it's more of a short-term thing. So we're we're asking for people to come for two to four weeks. Um, and we'll share meals with them and give them housing. And then they'll help us out on the farm. So, yeah, we don't do it all alone. And, you know, the majority of the work is the two of us. But we really enjoy having more people around and bringing in work traders and at the same time trying to limit how much management of people we are doing because that can be more challenging than anything else. But it's good to have a flow throughout the season where we have a lot of people coming on in the middle of the summer and then fewer people as things slow down again. Did y'all take uh, classes in permaculture or did you just read or, you know, the the swales and all that. Um, how did you learn how to do that? YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of YouTube. I, I did take a two-week permaculture class um, that was back in 2013, right after I graduated college and Radical Roots. Yeah, the the farm that I had mentioned earlier, Radical Roots, they, they operate on permaculture principles. Um, being a completely a production farm, but with some principles of permaculture that they employ on their landscape design. So that helps. I I think it's permaculture is really helpful in not just our the way we see our farm, but just the way we conduct our whole lives. And I wouldn't ever call us a permaculture farm, but I think the, the aspects of permaculture that we have employed are you know, aspects that are important in any ecological system, including our own ecology of our lives. And again, for those that might not have even heard the term before, can you give a quick little definition of permaculture? <laughs> no. <laughs> I really can't. It's actually, yeah, it's, it's like impossible to define. And Do you want to take a stab at it? Well, it means different things to different people. I think people most tangibly see it in examples of landscape design and, you know, keyhole gardening and hugo culture mounds and these kind of neat um, things that you can employ in your gardens that may or may not be the right thing for your garden. Um, we, we, I feel like we don't really think about permaculture a lot now, but when we were starting out, especially laying out the farm, I feel like we were really influenced by what we had learned from permaculture training. And it's been a really valuable tool just in decision-making processes and understanding uh, all the different systems that are working together on the farm. Arden and Michael, what do you want people to most understand about the work that you do? I think it's our farm is a it's a story of with a lot of different parts and it's changing all the time. I think we we do this because we love to do it and because it enables us to have a lifestyle that we want to have um, connecting with a lot of really good people, eating a lot of really good food and teaching people things and inspiring people, hopefully. Um, we, we do educational events throughout the year that we don't get paid for, but we really enjoy that part of keeping our, our toes in the, in the river of, 
of the movement that people are really drawn to all of the the natural food system and and learning about gardening and baking and fermenting and all those things. So I think I just like, I like the connection that I get to have with people on a personal level. And if there's anything we can teach people from our experience, then that's great too. And invite them on the farm and get to share what we are so lucky to have. I mean, I, I just feel very fortunate to be able to, to do the work that we're doing. Um, can be really challenging and really hard work a lot a lot of the times but um it's very satisfying to do anything with your hands and to be involved with producing the necessities of life whether that's food or making your own clothing or um anything that really speaks to your direct experience and that's something that you can share um something that you can share with your community so I feel like our our passion for farming can be translated to other people's passions and whatever they're interested in. I would also encourage people to branch out and you know pursue their dreams that they have that might seem really far away and crazy because as long as you're willing to get through the awkward growing phases, then you'll look back on it and be very satisfied and something that you've built you know as long as you're not somebody who's very, you know, it's focused on the immediate financial returns <laughs> and you'd rather see the growth of something larger and greater than, you know, starting a business or starting a farm can can reward you in ways that you t- were totally unexpected. I, I would like to say, too, that it, it can be tempting to see us or any farm and say, like, oh, that person did that on their own. But really, what we've done has been made possible by so much support uh, from our customers and our community, as well as our family who's let us use the land here. And um, I feel like anyone, maybe this applies to any business, um, anyone who's making a go at it has had an army of people behind them who are helping them um, do it. So it's always important to keep those people in mind. One last question. Where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? That's a great question. (laughs) We have so many crazy dreams that we want to achieve in the next five to 10 years. I think yesterday, Michael was telling me all about this wonderful bakery, cafe, farm to table restaurant that he was going to open as at the same time as starting a farmer's market and who knows what else, a preschool. (laughs) So there's infinite things out there floating around in our futures. And if I had to guess, I'd say we'll probably be doing the close, pretty close to the same thing we're doing now in five to 10 years, but in a lot more of a professional seeming way. Um, And to just hopefully have built around us a really solid food community in Lynchburg and, more and more opportunities and places to buy local sustainable food. I would I would say I would like to still be farming and baking and if if we're still running the business like we are now then I would say that would be a huge success if we're still there in 10 years um but in the future I would hope that we're able to manage our workload a little bit better and 
be able to work a little bit less than the crazy hours that we do right now. And also going into the future, we're trying to find more ways to share the land that we're using with other people because it's a 24 acre property and we don't want to grow 24 acres of vegetables. So for example, right now we have uh, friends who are keeping their bees on the farm. And then we have other friends who are about to start a medicinal herb business, um, growing their own medicinal herbs next to the garden. So in five to 10 years, I think it'd be really great if we have a couple more collaborations like that um, and more synergies that we can build with other um, farms in both here and in the area. And how did you guys get the name Great Day Gardens? I don't know if I even know that. Oh, that Great Day Gardens came from a phrase that my grandfather used to always say when he was just very pleased or excited or proud of somebody. He would say, great day in the morning. And it's something that we hear around here all the time. And I, it just echoes in my head when I think about him being here on this land. And I just love it. So thanks for asking that. So we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael and Arden. It's so inspiring and reassuring to know that there are people out there like them that are working to bring good, healthy food and regenerating the soil, regenerating the earth at this moment in time when we're just really kind of uncertain about what's going to happen here in the future. Also, I'll add that Michael totally inspired me to start up my own sourdough starter. My mom, out for the record, this is all on the record. My mom has had this sourdough starter in her possession for like seven years. She's been making bread. We have had two lady from retreats. Um, well, the last one is where we literally taught a sourdough bread making workshop. And I'll admit here, on live radio, not on live radio, on public radio for everyone to hear. <laughs> I have yet to have my own sourdough starter until, um, you know, chatting with Michael, hearing about how easy it is. And then also this casual thing called the uh, COVID-19 pandemic that made me be like, oh, maybe I should make my own bread. So I'm literally I have my own sourdough on the counter right now, which is exciting. Thank you, Michael. So I can't believe that that's your first sourdough starter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wasn't aware of that. When you asked me for starter, I thought, oh, she needs more. And so, no, wow. Congratulations, <laughs> Emma. Thanks, Mom. And for <laughs> the rest of you out there who haven't done sourdough and haven't ventured into your own bread baking yet, we – explain about it all in our book, The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. Lots of great essays and it's just a happy little guide, easy read. I mean, you can read it to cover to cover. You can have it on your bedstand forever and just reference it when you want to, but it's a sweet little guide. Oh, and the coolest thing is it includes this 21-day kind of lead shift, this exercise towards slower living um, just to kind of give you – little thought and journal prompts to to think about your life differently, which, you know, we all have maybe a little bit more time to do that now, which is interesting. 
It's like a, it's like a, a self-guided, slow living challenge, just yeah. that you do do yourself. But yeah, that's at the end of the book. And um, so, yeah. So I hope we hope you enjoyed this conversation, and we're as inspired and encouraged as we are. And remember, you need your farmer three times a day. So. Yeah. If you don't already, make sure that you're following us. Um, our handle on Instagram is We Are Lady Farmer. You can also follow us on Twitter. We don't post too much there. Um, Facebook, our page is just Lady Farmer. And if you'd like to email the podcast directly, we do have an email. It's thegooddirtpodcast at gmail.com. We would love your recommendations for guests, or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, we'd love to have you on. Um, and if you're not already signed up for our newsletter, go to our website at www.ladyfarmer.com. Go ahead and just, you know, pre-order a guide to slow living while you're there and then sign up for our website. We, I mean, for our newsletter, <laughs> we'd love to have you on our newsletter. <laughs> okay. So everyone rest well, eat well, be well. And we will talk to you next time. Yeah, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.